0: Do you have someone in mind who you would like to see on the Relate Podcast? Head on over to Instagram at Relate Podcast and send me a message or leave me a comment. Let me know who you would like to see on the show. Also, if you'd like me to talk about a specific topic, send me a comment or message and let me know what you'd like me to talk about. That's at Relate Podcast on Instagram. This is episode 126 of the Relate Podcast, from the story to the audience, with Stacey Barton. We are spending more and more time in the online world, looking through our screens and increasingly disconnected with those around us. But studies have proven that it's real-life, meaningful relationships that bring us the most joy and happiness. It's all about human connection and conversing with people from a variety of backgrounds. Worlds change when eyes meet, so let's sit down and relate. I am your host, Patrick McAndrew, and welcome to another episode of Relate. We got a great episode in store for you all today. For anyone who has been tuning into the Relate podcast since the beginning, at this point you should know how much storytelling means to me. I love the telling of stories. I think it's so important to bring people together to really have a collective experience whether you're watching your favorite TV show, whether you're watching a live experience, whether you are reading a book, I think that storytelling has a way of binding us all together. And today we have an expert of storytelling joining us today. Her name is Stacy Barton. Stacy comes from an incredible life and work experience she has been doing some incredible work for over 20 years she has specialized in story development for themed experiences including major projects for disney SeaWorld, ringling brothers dream vision and many others around the world she is also an award-winning author of three books of literary fiction and poetry she's also written four children's picture books and she has more than 30 short story publications out there. So it's safe to say that Stacy knows what she's talking about when it comes to how to weave together a story and how to create a story that is also captivating for an audience. And this is something that we talk about a lot in today's episode for so for any of you out there who really want to either become a writer or perhaps you're thinking of ways in which you can reach an audience with a story, this is the episode for you. Stacy and I talk about the connection between the story and the audience, about a collective experience, which is what I mentioned before, how the story touches our hearts. And she specifically talks about her experience as a show writer for themed entertainment versus being an author and what are those similarities and differences between those two things. But most importantly in this episode, we talk about the importance of listening to your audience and figuring out how your audience can inform the creations that you bring about in this world. And in this specific circumstance, it's through the writing that Stacy does. It's a really great episode, I cannot wait to share it with you all, I'm so happy that you're tuning in. If you like this episode and if you think it will really resonate with someone, send it their way, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a review, let me know your thoughts, or if you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave me a voicemail. So there's a lot to unpack in this episode, so let's dive in with episode 126 of Relate with Stacy Barton. it's really really cool what, what what you've done in really the creation of stories not only in your work as an author but also in the creation of stories for theatrical experiences and themed entertainment it's, uh, I think, a really unique job, and also something that is really important, especially in society today, where it's mm. it's very easy to focus on the negatives. That it's, uh, I'm I'm excited to have you on the show to to show to show some of the positive that's going on in this world, and uh, you know we we have a lot of listeners tune into this podcast who are working in the entertainment industry. And so I'm wondering if we could just start off our conversation by you sharing a a bit about yourself and where your journey begins in pursuing the path that you're pursuing today.
1: (laughs) How far back do I go?
0: (laughs) (laughs) As far back as you want to go.
1: I was a playful child. (laughs) Um, uh, Well, really my start... um, I was fascinated with street theater, which which uh, I think is having a bit of a resurgence, but it was very popular. I'll show my age back in the um, 80s, and I joined a company called SAC Theater, which was hired by Gene Columbus to open Epcot Center back in the day when it was called the experimental prototype community of tomorrow. Oh, nice. uh, <laughs> and we performed on the streets of Italy in the UK and we did a commedia style audience interactive um, comedic street show where we actually pulled the audience up to be the main characters in the show. So we did a hilarious version of Romeo and Juliet and Romeo was a grandpa from the audience and Juliet was a <laughs> grandma from the audience and Mercutio and Tybalt were strapping young bucks, and um, it was a blast. So that was really how I started. Uh, I did not have formal training in the theater. I just kind of jumped in doing improv on the streets, fell in love with the audience. I've always loved stories, and that was a way where the story didn't proceed without the audience. And that really governs everything I've done since then. I began writing for Disney and then other um, companies like SeaWorld and Ringling Brothers Circus and uh, DreamVision, um, lots of, all, all different kinds of um, themed entertainment companies. But most of my work has been at Disney. And then the last few years, um, my work has really been in kind of the special event arena So creating um, live experiences, turning ballrooms into Alice's Wonderland or multiple rooms of the Haunted Mansion and bringing it to life with the characters that you love from the films, really Walt's, you know, the same idea that caused Walt to create the theme parks. We've just taken a deep dive and done um, by transforming ballrooms into those settings and, and bringing people in, to sit at the table at the Mad Hatter's tea table. Um, So that's kind of in a nutshell, kind of how I, how I got from um, performance to writing.
0: And was, I guess, was that transition with performing for the, the opening of Epcot, was it that you, you performed with Disney for a while, and then that gradually morphed into writing for Disney or was it you were a performer and then there was, there was a break of some kind and then, then you went <laughs> back as a writer? Or was it right. really kind of this free-flowing thing that just kind of happened?
1: Um, well, so I, pref- I didn't actually open Epcot. I came in in 84, so two years later. But um, when I stopped performing and directing in 89, I had babies for most of the 90s. That's what I spent my time doing. Um, And when I came back to the writing, I actually was teaching um, dance to little ones, little girls. And I had a car accident, and it was very difficult to work with the little ones with the injuries I had sustained. And um, there was an opportunity to go in and interview, to um, write for actually the special event area. But it was all of entertainment. And so there was a gap. You're you're right. There was a a gap of uh maybe 10 years where I wasn't doing a lot of theater. And then I hopped in. What I what I was initially hired for was really a lot of the treatments um, for shows. And then um at that time I was the only writer at Walt Disney World. So I wrote for for the theme parks, for the special event group. It's called Disney Event Group. Um, that's where I met Ray Fournier, actually. Um, I believe you know him. (laughs) And, uh, so yeah, so it was kind of a restart and it took some time. I mean, I I wasn't working full-time as a writer when I began, but, um, pretty soon, uh, they found they couldn't work without me <laughs>
0: <laughs> well it's, it's pretty cool to to listen to the the evolution of your career and and what it became and, and and turned into and you really have written for amazing companies like Disney SeaWorld Ringling Brothers a whole wide variety of very well known organizations and what I love, what I love about these organizations is that storytelling is at the heart of them. So I'm wondering, well, what has it been like to create stories for these organizations?
1: Oh, get me started on story and it might go on for days. Um, (laughs) story. I love stories. Um, and that is, you're right. I mean, Disney is all about stories. Um, SeaWorld as well, um, although they have a different approach. And then Ringling Brothers is more about experiential and spectacle. Um, But in in terms of who I am and what I bring to any any project, whether it's a huge company or a small one, whether it's here in the States or overseas, is, is really that connection between the story and the audience it's very easy in theater, particularly very artistic theater. I'm not talking about themed experiences here, but you know, Broadway and, um, legitimate plays. Um, it can be easy to forget the audience and be so, um, caught up in the story that you have. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, I do that in the books that I write. I write literature also. But the stories that I've done, particularly for Disney, are really about the connection between the story and the audience. The audience is it. I mean, they are who we tell the stories for. And as we've seen with COVID, without the audience, we're nothing. Um, no. And so it's it's uh, it's been a it's been a, an opportunity for me to kind of you get on my soapbox, which I've always been on and say, Hey, we, we have to look at the audience. What do they need? What do they want? How does this story connect to them? How does this story connect to them in a parade or in a show or in a queue or in a ride? Um, How does this, what is the heart of the story? Why do we all love it? You know, themed experiences rely heavily on the collective consciousness you know, you don't have a show that no one's ever heard of. (laughs) They wouldn't stop and see. So it, it is, I'm very audience centric and I think most live entertainment, themed entertainment is in that um, same belief system because that's why we're there. We're there to bring them to life for the audience.
0: I think what you mentioned too about it being a collective experience is absolutely true. It's one of the biggest reasons why I'm so drawn to theater myself is that there's this communal aspect of the audience experiencing this together while all feeling their own individual connections or attachments to what's transpiring in front of them on stage or, or through a, a, a themed ride or, or something like that. And mm-hmm. I guess with all of that said, would you say that's where the early development of these experiences, especially in these large companies, begins is with asking those type of questions?
1: Oh, I think so. I, I, and I have not been I have not worked on WDI directly that Walt Disney Imagineering who, who does all the concepting. Um, I have done some work with them through, um, through the entertainment division, but I do know that that is very much how they approach the creation of anything. Um, what is the story and how does it touch hearts? Um, you know, I think in the earlier days, um, you know, the theme parks were being built um, in a time where you hadn't had, had a resurgence of Disney animation, you know, in the, in the 80s when they were building, you know, the studio. I'm talking prim- primarily about Disney, but I think Universal and SeaWorld were in the same time frame. But um, now I think you have a lot of experiences being created after the collective experience of a film and so how do you take that film and and make what part of that film makes a wonderful um, dark ride what kind of that what part of that film makes a fun roller coaster you know things like that um, it story is always at the heart of it um i think
0: yeah, and I think that that 's why at least at least myself personally i 'm always drawn to to disney and and too universal to these themed experiences because they're telling a story through an immersive way. And I know this is this is uh, an area where you've done a lot of work in as well. I know you've you've also created uh, escape rooms, worked with augmented reality, and I I <laughs> I am a big fan. And I know a lot of people listening in too are big fans of of escape rooms and uh, an immersive mm. theater. And and I think it goes back to what you were saying in the Comedia performances you were doing, where you're bringing in the audience and the audiences become part of the story. I think there's something really special in that. So w- what is it like creating stories for escape rooms or or for immersive experiences? And, and why do you think these are, are so powerful? Wow. Well,
1: I, I think that it, it is, it is, uh, it's a whole new world and there's some amazing people doing incredible immersive experiences, you know, all over the world. Um, the immersive experiences that, that I've been a part of try to use all the elements available to us in, in live entertainment, um, to create an environment in which the audience doesn't just step into, but has agency to um, to live in it, uh, to to be an integral part of it, not just observe it, not just walking through a museum of Alice's Wonderland and exiting, but to come in and there's a forty foot table, you know, that we had commissioned. Uh, to be made in China that has pots and uh, cups that steam and whistle and the dormouse pops up out of the teapot and you sit down at the, at the table and the Mad Hatter and the March Hare at one end and the other and then Alice and the White Rabbit come running through and then on a stage that encircles the table you have singers and dancers, um, Tweedledum and Tweedledee characters coming in and out um, and so what I think is so thrilling for me in that experience as the story driver is to interact with all the other disciplines, you know, how can, how can the lighting and the design and the, and the, um, the set, how can the music and the actors, um, what can they do to bring it to life without words You know, I always say if I've done my job really well as the writer, there'll be very few words and a whole lot of story. And so, in these immersive experiences, you're able to work with all the disciplines to um, figure out, and you have you have real time ability to alter it. Um, And but they are so fast, you you don't get to do them again. You know, they they usually just happen one night for a special event and. You know, you take what you can learn from it. But I think the the thing about immersive experiences, we did the same thing with the escape room. You know, we had performers, actors that brought the the story to its fullness um, and made sure that if we were on a ship, if it was a pirate ship, we didn't have a padlock, but we had an old, you know, <laughs> skeleton yeah. key lock. You know, every single detail down to the lap, You know, which Disney does so well in, in the theme parks, but we've had a wonderful ability to play with that in an environment that we can adapt and change because it's not a permanent installation. So there's been some neat learning, I think, in in that. Um, and then I was talking to some people recently about um, just some wild immersive experiences. One was a a weekend in a castle in Scotland you know, the talk about immersive, that's a whole weekend you're immersed. And another gentleman that did something in New York that was, um, he, was he was in the army. And so it was, a, it was a, a scary escape room, you know, like lives were at stake. Um, so there's a lot being done in the immersive world. Um, and I think it's really, I think it's really exciting. It's the kind of things that I'm paying attention to during this pandemic to kind of get myself ready for what are we going to do next? Yeah. You know we ha- we better be ready for this audience that's hungry for interaction, hungry for connection, hungry for community, um and you know that younger generation that's used to being right in the middle of it with video games and you know virtual reality they they don't want to just watch it they want to they want to star in it,
0: yeah, yeah, I think you make make some really good points, and i i couldn't agree more that once this covid situation is Figured it out in, in some way in the long run. I think you're right. I think people will have a hunger to experience these things again and perhaps even experience them more fully. And I think that so many of us, so many humans, maybe not everybody, but I think a lot of people really love immersive experiences, really love theatrical, interactive themed adventures of of some kind Mm -hmm. and why do you think it is that we as humans surrender ourselves to these experiences
1: well i think it goes back to kind of where we started about story when you think about when you were a kid maybe in in the middle or late of elementary school when you you could really dig into a book and what did you do you immersed yourself in the story. When you read the words, it took you there. It took you into the jungle. It took you to the river. It took you into the middle of the city. It took you into another world, an imaginary world. And I think that stories, um, oh, they, they make, they help us make meaning. I mean, it goes back to tribes sitting around the fire. How do we make meaning out of our life when there's a tragedy, how do we celebrate the goodness when we want to mark um, someone's coming of age or, or someone's um, even passing uh, it's stories. We learn by stories. Children learn by stories. Stories are um they're, they're innately magical because they show us ourselves inside the greater collective. They make us not feel so alone. They give us hope to conquer. Um, They let us cry when we're grieving. They let us laugh. Um, And so I think stories themselves, just the concept of story is in itself immersive. And um, so I I think that's why we, we just want to be whisked away. We want to learn a little bit more about what's happening to us by experiencing a hero or a heroine have victory. And we like it when they fail because we fail, but we want to see them, you know, get up and eventually, you know, fight the demons within or conquer the armies without.
0: I think too, there's this, to what you were saying, made me think of this, that there's an aliveness as well. Like Hmm. with being, to use your phrase, being whisked whisked away, it it makes us feel alive. It feels like we're on Hmm. this very epic quest or epic adventure that I think is very exciting. And I think it allows us to connect to one another and to go off what you said as well, to connect to the story that's being told. Mm-hmm. I, I think really when I'm in these experiences, I'm not really thinking about that, that stuff obviously, but <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm sitting back and really talking about it with you and analyzing it, it really is this special thing.
1: Well, it's so, na- and it's so natural. That's why you don't think of it. You know, you think of, think of a, um, you know, a mom sitting down and telling a story or a dad, at, at you know, tucking the little ones into bed at night or the, I mean, I have um, two little grandchildren now and, and so much of the way you help them see the world around, it's just naturally by telling stories. It's not a, it's not really even a convention. It's just natural human interaction.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I know that in addition to all the work you've done in creating stories for these large companies and, and these interactive experiences, you also have a lot of experience working as an author too. You've written a handful of books. And I I love that you have this aspect of yourself as well because it's a very different way of, of telling stories. And so I'm wondering if you could share with us in your experience as an author, how is this different from your work as a show writer? And then also perhaps how are both worlds similar as well? Mm. Well, there's a good bit
1: of similarity in that the medium is language. So I do remember um, a couple of years into working as a writer for Disney, I made the choice to stop directing and performing um, so that all of my energies towards skill were the same skill set. Um, so I I would write for the theater, write for themed entertainment, write books, write poetry. Um, that was that was an idea at one point that that I would focus really on the language. Well, I guess I think, it was
0: that, I think, the similarity. I think that Yeah, that's, I think, a really important point. I think that uh, at my point in my career, I'm still relatively early in it, but... I've really have started to develop the understanding of of why it's important to focus, why it's important to put mm. in your energy into a specific field or maybe two specific fields that are very much related, like in your case, a show writer and an author. I think that that that's that's really important for for developing oneself in one career so and i I, th- I think it makes a, makes a lot of sense uh you know why why you bring it up.
1: Right. And those two, so that place would be where, I mean, they both share language. They both, they both tell stories. Um, but they are, you know, they are very different. Uh, in the, in the world of, of themed entertainment, um, I am hired to help tell the story, to help develop the concept, develop the experience, and then write the script should there be one? Um, And that is very audience centric in, I have to know who's going to be there. You know, if it's a street show in a theme park, I've got to hold the attention of a two year old, a 20 year old, a 60 year old, you know? And so I'm always, always, always thinking of the audience and all of my choices come from that. Um, and also whoever I'm working with, what their budget is, what their sensibility, what their brand is. Um, so I'm very much a servant of a story that's not my own. And in the in the books that I write, of course, it's, it's my own story that, that I want to develop. Not that I am not aware of the audience, I am very much, but I have learned who my audience is based on our affinity our similarities Um, so when I write those stories it is um, a bit more of an unearthing from within than looking at um, who the audience is where they are what's the temperature (laughs) what are their ages what are their interests you know so that that is a um, pretty significant difference but in in the end whether I'm writing a a theme park show, or um, a narrative story that um, all the disciplines are going to build the experience around, or a play, or a poem, or a short story, or a novella. The medium I work in is nouns and verbs. It's language. It's um, it's story arc. It's character development. It's conflict and resolution. Um, those are all. Those are all the same. And so the reason I chose to just do the writing was so that I could just hone that craft. Because when you are a director, the medium is the performers and the set design and the lighting. Um, So I I like to do um, the story itself and the language. So those are a few ways that they're similar and different.
0: Right. Well, and I guess to follow up with that, would, is it difficult to, to write for an audience or rather to figure out what the audience wants exactly? Or is this something that because you're honing your craft over time, it becomes easier or maybe it's never easy and it's mm-hmm. sort of trial and error? I'm wondering what that process is like for you to, to write for an audience and to figure out what's going to resonate for an audience.
1: I am an observer and an intuitive and an empath. And so I have um, extra feelers out at all times for how people are receiving everything. <laughs> it's, it can be a painful life. Um, <laughs> but uh, in addition to that, I do have the experience of, of just learning over time, but I do have, I ask questions, you know, when I'm brought in on a project so who, where where are we? Who is the audience? What, there's a lot of questions to ask that help me know, okay, I get it. That You know, if you tell me that we're going to do a show on the streets of Epcot at two in the afternoon in August, I'm going to tell you 10 minutes max, right? It's hot. You've got little <laughs> children. You've got people pushing buggies. You've got, you know... So there are some things, there are questions you can ask up front that help you get inside the skin of the audience. And then over time, as a performer, as a director, as a writer, you do learn um, in general what will hit the mark. And then you have to be able to adapt um, and alter it You know, when it doesn't work, um, which is why live entertainment is easier than... You know, a build out of an attraction, <laughs> but uh, also I rely heavily on the team because um, you get different disciplines in there. Like I was saying before, the, the the visual thinker, you know, the the set designer or the lighting designer or the costumer, um, the audio engineer, the um, person who's going to score it, the musicians. Those all those people have their own perspective of what hits an audience, and by the time you've collectively done it, um, you know, had the conversations and the creative process is just amazing. It it just, if you allow it to happen, you usually get what you need.
0: Yeah. It's almost like this innate power within all of us that is working to create something bigger than ourselves. As cheesy Mm. as that might sound, like I think that's that's absolutely true. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to, go, to go off of that, how, how do you believe telling stories or, or experiencing live stories can enhance our connections to one another? We talk a lot about the importance of human connection and relationships on this mm-hmm. podcast. And I think that storytelling has a that very impactful way of doing this. And I'm, I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you believe telling stories can allow us to connect to one another better.
1: Yeah, we touched on that a little bit when I was talking about how tribal um, stories are and, and how they allow the collective to really experience life. Um, I think that in, in, in a book, you, you go into the story alone which is a beautiful experience. But I think in the theater or in themed entertainment or live experiences, you're experiencing it with other people. And so what is universal in the story speaks to you individually, but you can feel the energy in the people around you. And, you know, every audience has a different energy, even if it's the same show. Um, And that experience in the audience, the energy that the audience is feeling, um, you are a part of. It belongs to you and you contribute to it. Uh, And I I think it it can also normalize things and can normalize tears in a society where it's difficult for, you know, macho men to cry. It can normalize um, victory. you know, when women think they should submit. <laughs> you know, it 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 can take these universal things that the story one would hope that we're telling has, and it allows us to experience them together, which is just so empowering because now I've seen someone else feel similarly to me. And I've felt the energy, I mean there is an energy when people gather and it's palpable. Um, and very real. And when that energy experiences the same thing, a story or uh, a visual uh, moment, you know, a fireworks, you know, that that's music and explosions. Um, But it has a, if it has, if it has a heart, which, you know, that's what we look for when we decide what to create, then, then the audience gets to enjoy that ride together. And, um, You know, I was, I did a, one of my most favorite projects I ever did was actually as a performer. And there were three of us that um, retold Dickens' story, A Christmas Carol. And we did it in a tea room. And most of the time when you go to see a performance of A Christmas Carol, or you watch one of the fabulous movies on television, you don't get to hear the language of Dickens and how beautiful he sets the scene. And so the three of us did that. We actually spoke the language between the tea tables while people were eating homemade cookies and drinking hot tea. We moved between the tables and and told the narrative of a Christmas carol and then would pop into a scene with a hat or a scarf or a shawl or a jacket. And I played eleven men and four women, you know, Scottish and (laughs) Irish and English and
0: That's amazing.
1: lowbrow and highbrow. And every night you never knew exactly where the audience was going to have its fulfillment of emotion. I mean, obviously when Scrooge, you know, weeps and finds himself is an emotional moment, but each audience would have a different journey. And I got to learn to be so fluid, you know, as a, as an actress, or even as a writer, you want the cry at this moment, you want the laugh at that moment. But I learned to listen to the audience and trust their collective experience and the energy in the room, and to allow them to reach those moments when they did, and not try to, you know, force fit them into where I thought the text or the arc or the energy should have it. And I learned so much about um, respecting that experience. It's a sacred a sacred journey that an audience embarks on, you know, on any story, even if it's, you know, Mickey and Minnie the story, the concept of doing a story together, experiencing, experiencing that it's, um, it's very vulnerable. And, and that's why, that's why I think that we have to always go back to the audience. They are the ones that guide and direct us. Um, they're the ones that give us their hearts. They're the ones that trust us. They're the ones that are willing to step into that vulnerable moment and take the journey with us. And I take that very seriously, whether it's uh, something obviously emotive, like the story of redemption in A Christmas Carol, or, you know, a celebration of Mickey Mouse's birthday on the castle stage where all the characters bring him a present. You know, it's that's still that's still a journey. And, um, it's, it's just magical. And, and I feel a great amount of responsibility to play my part as well as I can, no matter what the story or the circumstance, the venue, um, you know, there is no small story, (laughs) you know, (laughs) they say that with acting, there is no small part, only small actors. There is no small story.
0: I love that. And it's uh, such, such important work too. I think now more than ever, we need to be hearing stories, a wide variety of different types of stories. And so mm. I I can't thank you enough, Stacey, not, not only for joining us on the show today, but in, in the work that you're doing, I, I could tell just from the way that you talk about your work, that you put so much passion and love and care into the stories that you mm. create, whether it's the stories you create as an author in writing your books or whether it's through the stories you create for large themed experiences or themed entertainment. And so I, th- thank you so much for for joining us on the show and just really mm-hmm. hitting home the importance of storytelling.
1: Oh, thank you so much. And I will say that if there's anyone that wants to hear a Florida story, my last book, Lily Harp is set um, on a little island off the southwest coast of Florida in the '70s, and it's a very—it's uh, a setting that's quite different from the theme parks in which I write.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Great, yeah. Where where can our listeners find out more information about you and your work, and, and perhaps uh, get some of your books as well?
1: Wonderful. Well, um, right now I'm meeting lots of people and looking for fun and exciting. Um, endeavors on LinkedIn, so people can find me there. Particularly from my themed entertainment experience, I usually do posts about things that I've done with inspiring messages or maybe tips of the trade. And I would love to talk to anyone. Really, most people don't take me up on that. They think, oh, she's too busy. But please stop by, and um, if you like a particular post, say so. Tell me about it. Connect with me. Um, message me. We can chat. Um, on uh, Instagram, you can find me at Stacy Barton underscore showwriter. And I do kind of the same thing there, only a s- smaller scale, fewer words, <laughs> more pictures. Um, and then for my books, you can find them probably most easily on Amazon. Certainly, if you are a book lover, go to your local bookstore and ask them to order it for you so they get the credit but you can find my page on Amazon. I did just go the other day and there is another Stacy Barton um, with a book <laughs> that is not mine. I can't recall the name of it, but if you um, look for Lily Harp and you'll find me, then you can click on my page and it'll have all four of my books.
0: Perfect. And, um, yeah, Perfect. it'd be great. I,
1: I would love to talk to you. Anybody. Right.
0: <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, I'll make sure to include the link to those various sources in the show notes. So listeners out there, just scroll down in the show notes on your screen. All those links will be there. Highly recommend checking them out. And yeah, please, please reach out to Stacy. Uh, you know, it's really it's a really important time to be connecting with with fellow, not not only fellow artists, but fellow people who are expressing the importance of stories. I, I think right. that, that, that nowadays storytelling is, is so important. So, uh, Stacy, I have one last question for you before we head out. Okay. How can we as a society better relate to one another?
1: Oh, well, my mind is fresh and full of stories. And I'm thinking about the stories of the pandemic. I'm thinking about the stories of black lives matter. I'm, I'm thinking about the stories of transgender people and, you know, any, any group that's been marginalized. um, Even, even I'm even in a bit of that group as a woman, not to put that in the same category, but I think that we need to tell our stories and we need to hear each other's stories. We need to amplify the stories of, people who don't have a voice. Um, I think that it's so important. I can't tell the story of a black woman because I am not black, but I can amplify her voice. I can't tell the story of my beautiful friend who is a transgender man, but I can amplify his voice. And I think that, that in this time, I am someone with my privilege of, um, you know, a fair amount of wealth and majority skin color. I can listen. I can listen to the stories even when it's painful and I want to hear them. They make me weep. They make me sick to my stomach. Sometimes when there's abuse and horror. Um, but I think a story needs a teller and a listener and I personally am doing a lot of listening right now.
0: Wow! Thank, you, thank you so much, Stacy. Yeah, I, th- I think that that you make such a good point. It's not only about the telling the stories, but also listening to other people's stories too. And and to use your word, to hear these stories also. So, mm-hmm. uh, l- like I said before, I can't thank you enough for for <laughs> joining me on the Relate podcast. This has been great.
1: That was a delight. It was really fun. Thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Relate. You can let me know your thoughts on this episode by going to Apple Podcasts and leaving me a review. Or if you have the Anchor app, feel free to call in and leave a voicemail. I would love to hear from you. You can support this podcast by clicking the link in the show notes. Thank you so much again for tuning in, and I'll catch you all in the next episode.